0: While I was in the US uh, a few weeks ago, I received an emergency phone call in the afternoon from one of my friends in Texas. She told me that her sister uh, was traveling alone and was going to the Philippines for the first time. But her sister had just landed in Manila in the early morning and she had suffered a medical condition and was disoriented. The family didn't know where she was, and they wanted to know if I could help, thinking that I was in the Philippines. You see, the family had received a short cryptic phone call from their daughter uh, that she was being released from the airport after her medical condition. Uh, She was now at some strange motel, uh, and there was a guy named Leto in her room who she didn't know. The family was worried because they could not get any more details from her, Uh, She had begun to slur her words, and she was disoriented. I told them I was in the U.S., and it was 3 o'clock in the morning in the Philippines. Uh, In my mind, I began to think of the worst. Uh, Horrible things can happen to a young single lady with blonde hair and blue eyes all alone in an unknown motel with a strange man she didn't know in a city of over 12 million people. I immediately sent a message to some of our deacons, uh, who, to my surprise, responded at once. And at 4.30 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, two of our deacons rushed into the general direction of Rojas Boulevard to try to find this young woman who they did not know. Long story short, they found her at what we in the U.S. would term a roach motel. But by the grace of God, and praise the Lord, she was safe and she was okay. One of our deacons opened up their home to let this young lady, a stranger to them, uh, stay in their house an entire week. They fed her, they nursed her back to health, and they even toured her around Manila and some of the areas around here. Their only connection to her was that she was the sister of one of my friends. I met this young lady's family in texas and they were so appreciative and thankful for the outpouring of love and hospitality Shown to a stranger. I remember what the father said to me He said steve we thank our friends. We've never met. I love that friends. We've never met brothers and sisters in christ He then continued your church must be a place of love and great hospitality to have deacons such as you do I never felt so much pride for our church and the servant leaders who are a part of our church. As I think about that wonderful outpouring of love and support by the servant leaders of our church, I wondered, realistically, if I were to pick up the phone and call any one of you at 4.30 in the morning, how many of you would respond positively? How many of you would tell me, Pastor, could you call me back at 9 o'clock when I wake up? Uh, how many of you in your heart of hearts would be wondering, although you would never tell me on the phone, why did the pastor call me of all people? Could he not have called someone else? The strange truth is, although even as a pastor, if I were to receive a phone call from you at 4, 4.30 in the morning, I would not be very happy to take that phone call. Even if it's an emergency, could that emergency not wait until my office hours. But the reality is the outpouring of love and support to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ we are called to serve, to even serve strangers who we've never met, but only through the bonds of Jesus Christ do we know them. Are we called in the Scriptures to exemplify something called hospitality? Do we have it? Do we have hospitality at 4.30 in the morning? As we continue our series entitled First Encounter, we've been looking at characteristics that should be evidenced in our life when we have had a true encounter with Jesus Christ. Things we should have been doing as a result of our life-transforming experience with Him. We've talked about the characteristics of adoration and evangelism and last week of trust. This morning, we want to take a look at the characteristic of hospitality. Hospitality. You see, my friends, a true encounter with Jesus Christ should draw out of us a desire to extend hospitality to others, driven by the deep sense of gratitude we have for having received that most wonderful of gifts, the free gift of salvation. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 16, as we're going to take a look at at three principles of hospitality Acts chapter 16. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Acts is after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we get to the Gospel of Acts. Acts chapter 16. We begin in verse 11, reading to verse 13. Luke writes, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is, a, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer work was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. The context of this passage is that Paul is on a second missionary journey he has received the so-called Macedonian call to come and bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, into Europe, specifically into modern-day Greece. And so Paul and his traveling companions of Silas and for sure others, including Luke, sailed from Troas in Asia Minor to Neapolis, the Greek port of Philippi, which is the capital of that region named after Philip of Macedon. Notice what the Bible tells us, that Paul begins to scout the city. He doesn't know anyone there. There are no Christians there. And he's looking for people who are spiritually sensitive, those who have a a, a yearning to know about spiritual things. And he he finds them at the riverbank of the city where a group of people meet regularly on a Saturday where they gather to pray and perhaps to talk about spiritual things. The Bible tells us many of them were women who were there. And we know that oftentimes it is the women who are more spiritually sensitive. They were people who prayed, but they did not know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who did Paul meet? Look at verse 14 to verse 15. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Tyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Paul meets a woman named Lydia, who is a seller of purple. One who sells purple cloth. clothes, clothes uh, would be one who would be wealthy, as it was a lucrative business at that time. Wealth or not, that it didn't preclude her from being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in her life. So moved was she when she heard the gospel that she desired her family to also hear the truth. In the moving of the Spirit, the Lord had opened up her heart to the gospel message, and she wanted others to know this truth as well. As we talked about two weeks ago, when one has had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, they cannot wait for their friends and their family in evangelism to hear about this Jesus. And so she invites Paul, and Paul is able to preach to her household and share the gospel. And the Bible tells us many came to know Christ as their personal Savior. And then they publicly proclaim that faith in Jesus Christ through water baptism. And then we have a very interesting request of Paul, Silas, and his traveling companion. Lydia asks them, come, stay at my house with me. Lydia extended this gracious hospitality for Paul and his traveling companion to stay with her. And note the basis of this request in verse 15. The basis of this request is because of her faithfulness to the Lord. Essentially, what she was telling Paul is this. Paul, if you've judged me to be one who has been transformed by the living Christ, please give me the honor of extending hospitality to you. My friends, charity, outreach, love for Christ, love for others, hospitality comes naturally out of an encounter with Jesus Christ. And here from these verses, we can draw out our first principle of hospitality. If you're taking notes, here's number one. Hospitality is an expression of thankfulness for a life that is transformed. Hospitality is an expression of thankfulness for a life that has been transformed. The life of Lydia in her transformation through Jesus Christ was evidenced by her eagerness to give Paul and these traveling companions the hospitality of her fine home. The truth in her heart, the conversion of her heart, was seen through the kindness to others, as was the very words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he simply said, Be kind to one another. A simple truth with great profound application. You see, those who have had a true encounter with Christ should naturally exhibit thankfulness every day. And one of those expressions is in hospitality. You may wonder whether God has been kind to you, whether God has been hospitable to you. That day you receive Christ as your personal Savior, you recognize. That he gave you the gift of salvation by grace. He gave you something you don't deserve. He extended ultimate kindness into your life. He laid before you all that he has. That's what the Bible tells us. All the riches of heaven are now ours as we are heirs of his inheritance. Think about that. We carry the moniker child of God. All has been given to us and we do not deserve it. How can you not but express thankfulness? How can you not be thankful to our God? And so if you have received hospitality, then l- hopefully you will be willing to extend it to others. You see, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, if you feel that you were unworthy to receive salvation, then the expression of your life will be joy and thankfulness. But if somehow you believe that your salvation is really owed you, you are a good person, salvation is but something I would have anyways, because I was deserving of it, God simply provided a means by which I would get something I already deserve, then you will not be hospitable. If you feel you deserved salvation, then you will not be thankful. And those who are not thankful... Are not hospitable. Hospitality is an expression of thankfulness for a life that is transformed. There is a a video on YouTube, I don't know if you've seen it, of a man who does a social experiment. He dressed up like a homeless man and he went into various pizza restaurants. He would tell those who had gathered there for food, tell them that he was hungry. And that he would ask them for just a small slice of pizza from the big pie that they had. And this video shows that each time he is refused, he is rejected. For whatever reason, we don't know. Perhaps because of his looks, perhaps because of his approach. Regardless, he is refused a pizza slice from the large pizza pies on those customers' tables. And then as part of this social experiment, he gets a few of his friends to give a homeless man, a real homeless man, a box of pizza. A few minutes later, he is dressed as another homeless man, and he walks up and he asks this homeless man who had been given a box of pizza for a slice. And it is being filmed. The homeless man says, sure, take a piece. This social experiment shows me one thing. That oftentimes when you are the recipient of mercy and grace and generosity, which all of us technically are, then we naturally extend it to others. It's often interesting that those who are poor are often the most generous. Because grace and mercy has been extended to them, and so they will want to extend it to others. To whom much has been given, you have been given your very life back to Jesus Christ Do you give of your life to others as well? Those who are not thankful are not hospitable. Hospitality is an expression of thankfulness for a life that has been transformed. In the subsequent verses of chapter 16, we read that Paul and Silas are beaten. They are flogged. They are imprisoned in Philippi, because they had exercised an evil spirit from a young girl who was making money for some local businessmen. These corrupt businessmen were very angry. They had lost their stream of revenue, and therefore they had Paul and Silas imprisoned. Look what happens while they are imprisoned, verse 25 to verse 27. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Note that. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors opened, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. I love the attitude of Paul and Silas. They are praying. They are singing songs to God. There is not a note of anger against God. They could be. Lord, we left Asia Minor to come to Macedon or to Macedonia. And the first city we enter, we get in prison. We're beaten. Not a hint of that. What you have is joy. Joy. Joy at the opportunity to witness for Jesus. Joy at the opportunity to suffer for him in this very first European city to be brought the gospel message. Paul and Silas were not praying quietly. They were not singing with hushed tones. I don't know if they could sing well or not. But it didn't matter. It was loud enough that all the prisoners could hear They prayed loud enough so that everyone could hear. They were not ashamed, as many of us are when we go to a restaurant and we pray as a family. We don't want others to hear, so we just simply say, everyone pray on their own. Loudly proclaiming, boldly singing about Jesus Christ. That's why I said a few weeks ago, I can only imagine the joy paul would have many years later as he would be chained to a roman prison guard and with each new shift perhaps he would clap with glee in his heart at the opportunity to share the gospel again to someone else there was joy well as they were singing and praying there was an earthquake not caused by the singing and praying but a supernatural earthquake Why do I believe it's a supernatural one? Because I know of earthquakes that can open doors, but I don't know earthquakes that can unfasten chains. But that's exactly what happened. Earthquake, doors, all the doors were open. All the foot restraints that had chained them down were now unclasped. They were free. They could escape. The jailer saw what had happened, assumed that all the prisoners had escaped and was about to kill himself because... A life for a life was the principle, and if he lost a prisoner, his life would be demanded of him. Lest he be tortured and persecuted and killed by the Romans, he would do it himself. But then look what happens in verse 28. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Paul, seeing what is about to happen, says, stop. We're all here. Now, I know you've read this story many a times. Did you ever stop and wonder why all the prisoners stayed? I haven't wondered about that. If I was a prisoner, there was an earthquake, and the doors were open, and the chains were unclasped, I'm out of there. That's my freedom. But they all stayed. Now, Paul didn't go around, okay, good prisoners, the right thing to do is to stay in prison. Now, everyone, stay. Why did they stay? The only clue the Bible gives us, and I don't want to read too much into it, but note what the Bible tells us in verse 25. As they were singing hymns, singing songs of praise and praying, the prisoners, note this, were listening to them i wonder perhaps if these songs they sung the prayers they were praying contained the gospel message i think it did i believe their songs and their prayers talked about the cross talked about how unworthy they were and how god's grace was evident Through their son Jesus Christ in their life. Through the listening of these hymns and prayers, they were convinced, perhaps, that they were deserving of prison and that the right thing to do was to stay. What a great lesson for us. My friends, remember people are always watching your actions, they're always listening to the words of your conversations. Perhaps some of them will come to know Christ through what you say and how you testify through your life. What does the jailer do? Look at verse 30 to 32. And the jailer brought Paul and Silas out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Why would the jailer think to ask Paul and Silas how one is to be saved? Perhaps he heard the story of the incident in the city earlier with the slave girl in verses 16 to verses 24. Perhaps like the other prisoners, he also heard the prayers and the singing of Paul and Silas. It would have reverberated and echoed through this prison And he must have wondered, there is something different about these two. Perhaps he noticed the supernatural nature of this earthquake. Perhaps he noticed something different about these two as he processed them into jail. Whatever the case, there was something different about Paul and Silas. And through their testimony and through their life, the jailer knew to ask these two, how can I be saved? How can I know the one you worship? How can I know the one true God? In how you live and in how you act, are you inviting people to ask you about Jesus Christ in the relationship that you have with him? In the 10 years of your Christian walk with Christ, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, Has anyone ever asked you about the Jesus you worshipped? If not, why not? Perhaps it's because our lives are not shining testimonies for him. We're no better than the world, so why would they want to ask us about this Jesus we're in relationship with? May it be that in your life, it will be a common occurrence that many come to ask you because you live a life so different about your walk with Him. Verse 31 is one of the key passages of salvation by faith. You need to underline that in your Bible. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Nothing you need to do, believing in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone, that he died for you. Each member of the jailer's family also had to come to a personal belief as well to be saved. More than this great truth of our faith in verse 31, I want you to see the jailer's response and how he treated Paul and Silas. Look at verse 33 to 34. And the jailer took Paul and Silas the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, their wounds. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Before we talk about what the jailer did for Paul and Silas, let me... Take a side note here to say, did you notice that in both the case of the Philippian jailer and the case of Lydia, once they came to a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, they wanted to publicly identify with Jesus through water baptism. If you are not yet baptized and you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, why not? You are living in disobedience. Is one of two ordinances that the Lord Jesus Christ has instituted for us as believers. Now, if you're unsure or you're not ready, we understand, but that reason better be valid. But it's before the Lord. Any other reason, it's kind of lame. I'm embarrassed. I've waited too long. That's a matter between you and God. Oh, I'm too old. You mean not to attend eight classes? I'm so busy. Oh, the water will be cold. I may have to get wet. I don't know what your reasons are. How will that play out when you stand before the judge at the, great, at the judgment seat of Christ and he asks you, oh, by the way, why were you never baptized? You Believed in me. You've got a lot of explaining to do. Lydia and the jailer were so excited with their life-transforming personal experience with Jesus that they wanted to identify with him. Baptize me. Tells Paul, Silas, I want to identify with Jesus. I want to be associated publicly with him. If you're not baptized, what are you waiting for? Well, let's go back to what the jailer did for Paul and Silas. What happens here is something amazing. The jailer washes the wounds of Paul and Silas, something that jailers do not do for their prisoners. You know, they say that uh, it's a common belief that all the prisoners believe that they're innocent. So if you ask them, why are you here? Well, I don't deserve to be here. I got caught. Everyone's innocent. And so, I know a few jailers. They have to be hardened in their hearts. They cannot feel compassion for the prisoner, lest they proverbially let their guard down but to see the tenderness of this jailer look upon Paul and Silas with compassion to to tend to their wounds that very hour the Bible tells us he gave them food to it and note this he didn't bring them to their cell this food he invited them to his house his very private residence to eat with him and he rejoiced what was he rejoicing about? Not because the prisoners had not escaped, but he rejoiced because he believed in God and his entire household did as well. We may not see great significance in what the jailer did, but what I want you to see from his life is the second principle of hospitality, number two. Hospitality is expressed in action, hospitality is expressed. In action. If there is no action, hospitality is only expressed verbally, and it is no hospitality at all. Of all people, this jailer was under no obligation to help Paul and Silas. Lydia, maybe, she had the means, but this this mediocre, middle-class, lower-class jailer didn't have to treat Paul and Silas with such kindness and hospitality but he goes above and beyond in action. He doesn't talk about it. He actually does it. You see, my friends, it doesn't mean you have to be rich to be hospitable. You know, some of you this morning are sitting here thinking, you preach it, pastor. They need to hear it, everyone else, because I am the recipient or I, I, I am deserving to be the recipient of hospitality. Hospitality. But if you think like that, remember, if you want to compare, compare down instead of comparing up. We love to compare up. We rarely compare down. If we compare down, we will see how blessed we are. I remember speaking at a church a few years ago, and after service, um, a woman came and shook my hands and put into my hands some baked goods Um, I thought how wonderful uh, that uh, uh, I would get some baked goods. The pastor of the church uh, whispered to me that uh, this woman uh, bakes every week for the pastor who speaks uh, at service as an expression of thankfulness. He told me that this woman doesn't have much, but that is how she extends her hospitality to one who has provided spiritual food. I love that. It's like the widow's mite. It's not about what you give. It's the attitude with which you give. What about you? How do you extend hospitality through action in the everyday life? It can come in the form of opening a door for others as as a common courtesy. Letting someone else go in front of you at a line, especially one who is older. That's hospitality. Inviting someone over for a meal. Visiting someone at the hospital. Just encouraging them. Bringing food to someone who is sick. Sending them a note of encouragement. I know that requires work on your part. But that's why the second principle is that it must be exemplified in action. You are a creative bunch. You don't need me to give you a list of ten things for how you can show hospitality to others. If you have had a personal encounter with Jesus, you have received his grace and kindness, then I think you will want to express it to others. Hospitality is a call to action expressed by all those who have had a personal encounter with Christ. In the book Outlive Your Life by Max Lucado, he writes this, Not everyone can serve in a foreign land as a missionary. Not everyone can lead a relief effort or have the expertise. Not everyone can volunteer at the downtown soup kitchen. But who can't be hospitable? Do you have a front door? A table? Chairs? Bread and meat for sandwiches? Congratulations! You just qualified to serve in the most ancient of ministries. Hospitality. Hospitality opens the door to uncommon community. It's no accident that hospitality and hospital comes from the same Latin word, for they both lead to the same result, healing. When you open your doors to someone, you are sending this message, you matter to me and you matter to God. You think that by opening your door, you're simply saying, come on over for a visit but what your guest here is i am worth the effort there are so many people in our community who needs to understand that god loves them and that they are worth something your hospitality will share with them and will show them that they matter to god and they matter to you Or else it's just all empty words. Hospitality is expressed in action. In verses 30 to 40, Paul and Silas are released from prison. Where will they stay? Jump down to verse 40 with me. Acts 16, verse 40. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Whose house would they stay at? Lydia's. She welcomed them into her home when she first met them by the riverbanks. And now they are prisoners. Persona non grata in Philippi. Would she still leave her home open for them? Absolutely. She invites them to stay at her home again. You know, it's easy to show hospitality to someone who is popular or well-liked because now the honor is given to you to have the privilege of hosting them. But what if they are social outcasts? What if they're on the fringe of society? What if they're not in your barcada? What if they're not in your circle of close friends? It's not as easy. What if you feel they don't deserve it? They're not worthy. Not for Lydia. Lydia. The imprisonment of Paul and Silas did not change her expression of thankfulness in hospitality. Lydia always had an open house for the saints of God, In her home became a center of Christian fellowship in Philippi. Perhaps her home became the first Christian church in Europe because of her hospitality. When Paul, many years later, would write the letter to the Philippians, we can rest assured that Lydia was included in Paul's salutation in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. For sure, Lydia was on the mind of Paul when he commends the women who had labored with him in the gospel. And here, in this one verse, 40, we draw out our third principle for hospitality, number three. Hospitality is expressed equally to all. Hospitality is expressed equally to all. Hospitality knows no status. It it is colorblind. It must be expressed equally to all. So if you're going to open up your home or open up your heart and express hospitality, it should be for all. Now, of course, you've got to use prudence here and wisdom. I'm not telling you to invite convicted killers into your house and to, to meet your family and friends. But I think you know what I'm talking about. It must be distributed equally. The expression of hospitality must be genuinely given to all whom you want to express the love of Christ, and that should be everyone. Christ, when he gave us his all, did not have two standards. He didn't have package A for those who love him and package B who sometimes did their devotions and package C who, well, he had no other choice but to save them. Everything he gave us, the book of Ephesians tells us, was equal. The line, the the wall of separation was torn down. And so it is when we express hospitality, it must be expressed equally. And I like the story of uh, uh, a couple who invited a guest to their house. Uh, The good wife, who was the host, uh, wanted to serve this guest wine and cheese. But in preparing to host this guest she forgot to get cheese and only had the wine and so when the guest came she apologized for only having wine and no cheese well the little boy in the family heard this and wanted to resolve this situation and so he quietly slipped away from the table for a moment and surprising to everyone he returned with a cube of cheese which he placed at the guest's plate Uh, The guest smiled in recognition of this young man's thoughtfulness and popped the cheese into his mouth and then remarked to this little boy, you are so kind, you're so hospitable. Where did you find this cheese? The boy replied with a flush of pride, in the mousetrap. How many of us have varying standards for how we serve various people. Many of us do, whether we want to admit it or not. If cheese is to be served, it must be the best. If a gift is to be given, it should not be that which is about to expire the next day. You know what I'm talking about. If hospitality is to be expressed, It is to be expressed equally. I'm not immune from this. God has to teach me these lessons as well. Some of you know my favorite soda is Dr. Pepper. It is uh, something you don't find at the grocery store here. Uh, Bottled in Texas, formulated in Texas. So uh, it's a bit of uh, nostalgia and a bit of uh, home for me. Uh, And I treasure each can that I have. Uh, I don't get much of it, uh, but when I do get it, I reserve it for days of celebration, special occasions. A few months ago, I only had one can left when a missionary from Texas came to my home. I knew he would love that can of Dr. Pepper, but I didn't want to give it away. It was mine. He had been away from home for a lot longer than I have. I would serve him refreshing drinks. Lord, just not my last can of Dr. Pepper. And so I placed in the tray what we had at home, Coke, Sprite, juice, water. But something tugged in me that I just had to put that last can on that tray. Brought it to him. Tried to sell him on the other drinks. Would you like some refreshing Coke? Would you like some cool Sprite? How about some of this tasty juice? Or would you like this little Dr. Pepper? Well, you know what he chose. He chose my last can of Dr. Pepper. And I watched him drink it, (laughs) wishing he would offer me but a sip. Now, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. Please do not come with cases of Dr. Pepper for me this week. I'm actually banned from having it. But, you know, interesting. the Lord made it up to me. That week, someone uh, brought a case uh, of 24 uh, Dr. Peppers for me. But that's not the lesson. Uh, when you show hospitality, it doesn't always mean God makes it up to you. But the lesson is when you extend hospitality, it must be your all or it is no hospitality at all. Because Christ gave his all, he did not hold back. And if we are the recipients of that, should it not be in our life that we give all that we have as well to those whom we would like to show the love of Christ? They can see through a half-hearted hospitality effort if the things we give are not of our best. What I want you to see and take note is the joy of hospitality does not come from you blessing others. Notice that there's no verses that indicate what benefits Lydia and the Philippian jailer received. There's no verse that says, and Lydia's business increased tenfold because Paul and Silas stayed at her house. There's no verse that says, and the jailer got promoted to become a captain of the the royal guards because... He took care of Paul and Silas. Nothing. But that's how we think hospitality works. If we bless those whom God wants us to bless, and we'll be blessed ourselves, so we'll bless them. A lot of blessings there. Most of it is for us. Hospitality is about others. It is not about you. It is not to make you feel good. It may make you feel good with the warm, fuzzy feelings, but that's not the point of hospitality. It is so that others will be blessed. It is not to be done by you so that you won't feel guilty because then you've turned it back against to you. It's about how you bless others. It's about them. It's an expression of thanksgiving for what... You have received. So regardless of the reaction that you get, if you never receive a thank you, it's okay. Because it's not about you. It's about them. Well, how do we apply this this week? We know about these principles. They're nothing new. What can we do? I'd like you this week. If God moves in your heart, If you have prepared offering to give this week, would you not offer it to the church and use what you were planning to offer to extend hospitality to someone else? Now, if you've already dropped in your offering at the beginning of the service, then do it next week. If you're led to do both, wonderful. But I don't want you to miss out the opportunity to extend hospitality to others because of what Jesus Christ did for you. I want you to be creative. I want you to actually spend time and think of ways by which you can express hospitality as an expression of thanksgiving in your life. You know, a lot of people said, you know, I'm thankful, but how do I get that feeling of thanksgiving? Express it out in hospitality. In gratefulness, you will then understand what it means to be thankful. And you know what? the people you extend hospitality to may be very surprised they may say you know what 20 years i've known you you've never invited me to your home why are you inviting me home this week do you want something from me what a great opening for you to say you know what nothing i heard a sermon this sunday the word of god spoke to me I'm also learning in my Christian journey, and I've been challenged to express hospitality to you. What a great opening for you to share about Jesus Christ to them through your life! It's hard work, absolutely. It's going to create, require of you time, it's going to require you to think. But as Christ did all those things for us, can we not express our thankfulness through what he has challenged us to do to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and to strangers we do not know by sharing and showing hospitality? Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that uh, your word would... Work deeply to challenge the lives of the men and women of our church. Help them to not give cheese from the mousetrap, but the finest of cheese that we can serve. Father, I pray that this church would be known as a church of great hospitality and kindness. Not because we want to put on a show for others to see, but out of the expression of what has been done for us. You who send your son, your precious son, the very best, to die on my behalf and our behalf. And by doing so, all the riches of heaven have been given to me and us. Let us show forth that hospitality to others. And it may be hard, Lord, But help us to see as we're going to sing that song later on. It will be worth it when we see you. Bless your people this morning. Bless them by challenging them to go out and do the work you call us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.